Hello and welcome to an episode of Unpacking the Case, the podcast by David Jones-Bold, the Real Estate Law Specialist. Today, and as ever, I'm joined by our Head of Legal Training, Richard Snape. So we're here for a proper podcast episode today on the Building Safety Act and Fire Safety Act, following a couple of webinars we did in June on residential and mixed-use developments um, and kind of the legal, legal issues surrounding that. So I think we're going to start with the Building Safety Act um, and the provisions came into force on the 28th of June. So do you want to start by giving us a bit of background on, on that act? Yeah, as I uh, mentioned, if anybody was uh, looking in on the, um, the courses I did, uh, the Building Safety Act is a, a huge piece of legislation, massive piece of legislation, 262 pages. Even in the hottest of nights designed to get you to fall asleep. Uh, and much of it is not in force and won't be in force until next year when a few provisions came in at the end of June. It's, uh, it's post-Grenfell legislation. Grenfell was, um, uh, was June the 14th, 2017, over five years ago from when we were recording that. And they had to wait for the various inquiries, both most famously Dame Judith Hackett's inquiry uh, building a safer future before they could uh, introduce the legislation. It was introduced in, in July of 2021 uh, and finally received the Royal Assent in April the 28th of uh, 2022. And the government at the time announced that some of the provisions were coming to force, the ones that didn't need lots of regulations two months hence, hence the June the 28th. Do you want to briefly start with the provisions that didn't come into force on the 28th? Well, yeah, it does a huge number of things. It introduces uh, a body called the Building Safety Regulator. It will be part of the Health and Safety Executive, which will be responsible for building standards and building control in, in the likes in high-risk buildings. And it introduces the concept of high-risk residential buildings of 18 metres or more or seven storeys or more in height in England. At least it might be different in Wales. We'll let you up to here. Um, I thought, you know, in view of the, you know, these podcasts are not meant to be full-blown lectures, uh, we could talk about those when we know some of the more, some more of the detail, probably, probably not until early next year. So that's uh, another day. But uh, the ones we do know about, it seemed uh, sensible to, to do now. And it's obviously, it's uh, June the, sorry, July the 19th today, but uh, obviously you've been jet-setting around the world for the last month or so, Lizzie. Uh, so this is the, and I've had COVID, so this is the earliest we've had. I've had COVID as well, actually, since the 20th. COVID as well, yeah. So what provisions did come into force? Well, the first one, they're all quite related in a way, and some of it, I'm going to mention is, is not actually in the act. It's just things that uh, in England, at least, again, the uh, Department of Leveling Up uh, has been uh, sort of uh, saying is going to happen. But uh, one thing is they've amended quite dramatically Section 1 and Section 2A of the Defective Premises Act of 1972, which has been around since 1974. It says that uh, basically the original version said that people carrying out work on or in connection with the uh, provision of a dwelling, had to do the work in a workmanlike and professional manner and with proper materials, so that it would be fit for human habitation. And if that wasn't the case, uh, anybody who suffers loss as a consequence could sue you know, the person who carried out the works. 
What are the limitations of that? Well, as it was originally framed, I mean, there were quite a few cases which uh, people's claims failed. There was a case called Jensen and Faux, uh, called Appeal Case from 2011, which I did mention in the, in the, uh, the course, the webinar, where they, the builders carried out defective refurbishment work on this premises. And the court said it only applies to new builds and conversions. And that doesn't include things like refurbishment work and rectification work. There have been cases on that as well. So the new version uh, applies to both rectification work and uh, refurbishment work. You know, as it was previously, the Court of Appeals said it might apply to major refurbishment, you know, such as it became almost like a totally new dwelling, but that doesn't need to be the case anymore. And the other major change is that the original um, limitation period in which you had to bring a claim was six years from date of completion. Uh, a lot of defects don't show up until well after six years. A lot of defects don't show up until after 10 years when NHBC covers run its course and the likes. Uh, and so that's now changed as of June the 28th. If the defect occurred prior to um, June the 28th, then there's now a 30 year limitation period. A lot of this changed in, in the passage through Parliament. And that's, uh, that's retrospective. Uh, so you, you might have had defects occurring in, in 2020 with you know, late earlier than that, it's say like in the year 2000 and you've got until 2030 to bring a claim. If the works occurred, the defective works from June the 28th onwards, it's a 15 year limitation period. Wouldn't a lot of builders no longer be in business if that's the case? Yeah, um, we're actually seen through this. It's quite unusual in the annals of uh, English company law British company law, uh, in that uh, if the builder is no more, you know, big builders and moderate sized builders alike set up shell companies, associated companies, just for that development, when the development's uh, completed, they'll close down that company. But you'll be able to go to the high courts, not always easy to do, for something called a building liability order, making associated companies liable. Uh, uh, and so the head companies and the likes liable. Uh, it's not automatic, the High Court, we don't know anything about this obviously yet, but uh, it's whether it's, if it's just and equitable to do so. You can, you might remember from your studies, people, if you ever did sort of company law and the likes, piercing the veil of corporation, you can sort of um, say associated companies might be liable. So they thought about that, uh, we'll have to see how effective it is in practice. It's also subject to potential human rights claims. I suspect they're worried about the idea that you can't make us retrospectively liable for something that happened 30 years ago. Um, and again, we'll have to see what the future holds for that. I suspect there'll be quite a lot of case law on it. What other provisions came in? Well, they finally um, brought into effect Section 38 of the 1984 Building Act. I'd say it is a 1984 provision, which is the... Um, major provisions in relation to building regulations and section 38 for whatever reason was never in, in, introduced it is now in force not retrospectively but if somebody in relation to any property not just dwellings this is important across the board uh, is in breach of building regulations 
then not only then might there be enforcement action and for up to two years potential prosecutions, although they're very rare, uh, but you could be sued in damages by anybody who suffers a loss. And that's got a limitation period. I say it's, it's prospective and not retrospective, but it's got a limitation period of 15 years to it. Which you know, going on is changes the whole nature of building regulations, which is quite significant. Is there anything else introduced? Yeah, well, there's been this is the stuff that really changed as uh, the the bill as it was went through Parliament, and uh, it's primarily only applicable to to England. Uh, it doesn't really relate to Wales. Well, quite separate from the the Building Safety Act itself. The government's been making various announcements to deal with removal and replacement of combustible cladding, metallic composite materials and aluminium composite materials. The latest on that, uh, and I say I do stress this is not within the Building Safety Act, is that the government say that if you've got a building of 18 metres or more in height or seven or more storeys in height, then they will set or extend uh, something that's uh, run out of money after a year or so back on what's called the Building Safety Fund. They are ploughing an extra well, 5.1 billion pounds to this Building Safety Fund to pay for the removal and replacement of, of cladding, but only in buildings 18 metres or more in height, which is usually six storeys. If it's less than 18, but 11 or more in height, or five stories or more in height, the government, uh, the Department of Leveling Up, used to be Michael Gove, but I don't know who's running that now, um, but uh, they, um, they pressurise the builders and uh, have set up something called, the, or are setting up something called a building safety levy to um, pay for the removal again of combustible cladding from 11 to 18 meters or more in high buildings less than 11 meters doesn't get any um, benefit from this but there's also they pressure they pressurize in the building industry by basically saying if you don't cooperate we're not going to give you planning permission or like we're going to introduce legislation i think it's about 45 now it changes all the time but of the bigger of bigger and sort of not so big builders have set up a building safety pledge whereby you can check online if you're you know, the victim of uh, defective building work and they'll pay for not just removal of cladding but any uh, any sort of life critical fire safety uh, defects um, they'll do that themselves and I say people can check anybody can check online just uh, who these builders are they start off with Allison's builders are the first, Lizzie. Um, I didn't know. Uh, but um, and they go all the way down to zebra builders or something. Um, but anyway, so that's going to be paying for the cladding. Um, one of the problems, I suspect, is uh, the 5.1 billion the government set aside is nowhere near enough, according to some estimates. You know, a third to a fifth of what's actually required. And they seem to be taking their precious time as well. People can't get mortgages until the cladding is removed and replaced. Is there anything else on the on the Building Safety Act? Yeah, they've changed dramatically the nature of service charge liability for safety work generally, non-cladding safety work. And again, it applies to buildings of 11 metres or more in height or five storeys or more if they're less than 11 metres in height because inevitably otherwise builders would just build slightly less than 11 meters in height but it's not just studying which will be paid for by the levy and the funds this is safety work generally and not just fire safety shall i explain the the criteria yes please do 
Yeah, you've got to be a qualifying tenant. That's a long leasehold of a dwelling, 21 or more than 21 years duration. And it was all set, the relevant date to decide, which has got massive implications in, in, in residential conveyancing, mixed use and the likes, is Valentine's Day 2022, February the 14th. And Lizzie's nodding as if she remembers that was St. Valentine's Day. But if you've got on that day, own the flat as your only or principal home, have a long lease of more than 21 years duration as your only or principal home, or you can have three up to three flats uh, you know, as investment properties or one being your only or principal home. And you can still qualify. If you've got more than three flats, if you're in more than three flats, then you can still claim for your only or principal home, but not for the other premises. Um, so if you're a sort of major investor, you don't see the full benefit of it. In those circumstances, the well, I should also mention actually that um, if uh, you buy from somebody who qualified on February the 14th, 2022, you um, you also get the benefit of the caps on service charges and the likes, which oh, should be a standard inquiry, quite honestly. You know, you need to raise inquiries about that if you're buying a flat in an 11 metre or more in height build block. The first stage is the developer should be responsible for any non-cladding safety work. But if the, the developer can't be found, they're setting up an orphan fund. You know, the building industry is going to have to pay a levy. But if the developer can't be found, then the next stage is the landlord should be responsible, but only if their net worth is £2 million or more per effective building. So only the big builders, basically, so the big landlords. If you aren't such a landlord, you can claim via service charge, obviously, if the service charge allows it. But uh, you can only claim up to £15,000 in any 10-year period in Greater London or £10,000 outside London in any 10-year period. And uh, that includes the five years prior to um, the, uh, the provisions coming into force at the end of June. Uh, so there'll be those limitations uh, and you will not be able to claim uh, at all for safety work. You will for other service charge liability if the flat is valued at less than 175,000 or 325,000 if you're in the Greater London. So what do you get in Bristol nowadays for 175,000? Um, not much, <laughs> if anything at all, to be honest. In large parts of the country, uh, it's highly significant that in the large parts of the country, you're not going to see the, the benefit of all at all. So what kind of problems can you foresee? Well, one obvious problem is the blocks of less than 11 metres in height don't get any kind of benefit. And don't forget that there's a lot of statutory control of residential service charges, and we've done podcasts on that before. Um, but, um, you know, they have to be reasonably incurred of a reasonable standard. You have to go through you know, consultation galore. But I've seen still massive service charge liability. I mean, the government's saying if it's less than 11 metres in height, there's not the same safety problems in relation to fire safety and the likes. I've seen for you know, local authorities that came across one in Harringay, I think they're only about three-storey high buildings. And it wasn't safety, it was just a roof that needed replacing. And people would build, you know, people who bought under right to buy, uh, had one, two, five-year leases or the remainder. 
getting billed £118,000, you know, still you know, per flap. Service charge liability is highly significant still. Um, so there's, you know, there's a lot of issues. It's also not dissimilar to something called Flory's Law, which uh, local authorities have been subject to in England at least since 2014, whereby you can't charge more than £10,000, £15,000 in London for, for any service charge work. But there it's only where the government's providing, central government's providing all the money, which is almost certainly not going to be the case. There you go. That's the Building Safety Act latest, Lizzie. Great. We're going to move on now to the Fire Safety Act and the regulations um, related to that. I think the Act was uh, came into force on the 16th of May, but we're even doing a bit of crystal ball gazing into 2023, which seems a long way off yet. But January 23rd, 2023 is when the regulations are due to come in. Do you want to start with the background on this one? Yeah, it's... Uh... It actually came into force through the Fire Safety Act of 2021. It received the Royal Assent on April 29th last year. And it came into force in Wales on October the 1st. And I and many others in 2021 were thinking it's going to come in in England you know, by the end of last year. But it was finally, as you mentioned, May the 16th when England followed suit. It's a small piece of legislation. It's only four sections. And it's meant to, um, well, it's meant to clarify, is what word the government uses, the regulatory reform fire safety order of 2005 that came in, in October of 2006. And it's been a disastrous piece of legislation. I remember talking about it when I was a child lecturer in 2005. And uh, the problems were so enormous. It's the thing, as you appreciate, that uh, says that all non-domestic premises uh, should have fire safety assessments and act on them, implement them recommendations but it doesn't say what uh it, it basically it's a sort of one-liner you know in a hundred odd pages it's just a paragraph that says it applies to the common parts of dwellings but it didn't say what the common parts of dwellings were if you don't comply the responsible person for the common parts that's going to be the landlord or agents it could be prosecuted and also well, for many years, the insurers have been saying that we reserve the right to refuse claims for reinstatement after fire and public liability. The Fire Safety Act of 2021 defines what the common parts are in Section 1. And it says the common parts include the whole of the structure and exterior of the block. They apply whenever you've got at least, they say, two sets of dwellings. That's a, not a very good expression. Uh, this is regardless of the height of the block as well, but the, uh, the whole of the structure and exterior and any common parts that would be within the definition of the fire safety assessment. Any external doors and windows, including sort of non-domestic, you know, but the mixed-use development with offices or whatever down below, any internal doors that open into the common parts and any attachments, and they specifically give the example of balconies, that's basically the idea behind it. What are the consequences? Well, I suspect that now it's up in force in England and in Wales, uh, the a majority, probably a significant majority of fire safety assessments need to be done all over again. They've also made clear that it's got to be done by a competent person. And if the landlord isn't a competent person, then it's going to be somebody who is, somebody with, you know, qualification likes a fire safety assessor 
And I think that a lot of these things, as I say, need to be done again. Catastrophic consequences on your insurance that they're not. It's, well, it's the Fire Safety England regulations. I've not seen anything from the Welsh government yet. Life used to be so easy checking, you know, when England and Wales used to be you know, the same law. But uh, I did check and I can't see anything about Wales yet. They were passed in, in May, but they don't come into force until 23rd of January, uh, 2023, a strange date for it. They are you know, passed under the fire safety order of 2005, um, but they deal with, again, high risk buildings, 18 meters or more in height or seven or more stories. And they say that uh, the relevant fire rescue service must be provided you know, by the responsible person, the landlord usually, uh, with electronic uh, copies of all the floor plans and the external wall system. You've got to keep hard copies of the floor plans as well. You've got to do things like, I don't think it's the lawyer's job, but if you're involved in the management side of things, you'll have to provide electronic uh, details of any lifts that are going to be used by any firefighters in the event of a fire. You'll have to keep things like, well, you'll have to check any such lifts that, uh, on a monthly basis and also fire safety equipment on a monthly basis. Any entry doors on a quarterly basis and any fire doors on a yearly basis uh, provide the residents with information and likes and all these backed up with uh, criminal offences. And... Um, Another thing that you'll perhaps talk about at a later date under the Building Safety Act, again, if it's such a high-risk building, uh, then um, it has to be registered with the Building Safety Regulator. They're looking at new builds April of 2023 for that. Existing properties that will have a six-month window to, to register between April 2023 and October 2023. And that's about it, Lizzie, on this hot day. Thank you, Richard, and thank you to everyone for listening. I look forward to seeing you in our next episode of Unpacking the Case.